are in the book of Daniel this morning. Good to see you all. We get in Daniel chapter 3, verse 1, it reads as follows. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits, its width 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. The Nebuchadnezzar, the king, sent word to assemble the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the, to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they were standing before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the herald loudly called out, To you it is said, O peoples, nations, and men of every tongue, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore at that time, when all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every tongue fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. The word of the Lord, let us pray. Father, there's so much. Uh, sickness tore through this region last week, and our people still at home recovering from this flu. We have friends right now watching this from the hospital beds across our city. We have friends who have been in the hospital this week because of cancer, because of broken spinal cords. For all these that we love and know, care for them, Lord. Encourage their bodies and their we thank you, Lord, for the celebrations in this, womb, in this room for a brand new married couple who's sitting here with us. We praise you for this commitment and covenant that was made before you. So let this word that we receive this day be a source of hope, light, warmth, truth, and if need be, let it challenge us where we stand. In Christ's name we ask all these things. Amen. I used to, when I was a younger man, when I was a younger man, I used to sleep like the dead. When I laid my head down and closed my eyes, you could not wake me from my slumber. It was a spiritual gift I possessed. <laughs> but something happened to me in life. I got married and had kids. And I still sleep pretty strongly. When, um, like, in, in, my, in our home, that's not everybody's house, but in my house, um, when we had kids, my wife stopped working and decided to stay home, and I stayed going to work. I was the primary breadwinner. Um, but when the babies were real little, 
My wife would wake up in the nighttime with the kids and feed them and stuff, and I would just not even, I would not, the, 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 the cry never registered. On my, I slept like a baby when my babies did not. Um, <laughs> but years go on, and something in me happened where even though I can sleep so powerfully, sometimes if danger ever comes, it's crazy how like, you hear it in your sleep now. For example, one time I was sleeping, and a tornado alarm went off in the middle of the night. And usually when I get up, I'm a groggy, slow, like, uh, what's happening? Like, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a slow, I am... An object at rest tends to stay at rest, right? That's uh, Newton's third law. Listen, before it was happening, this, this, this tornado storm goes off, I am out of my bed, I am down the hall, and I am in the rooms of the children. Like my first instinct, right, a tornado siren, is get the kids to safety. I love them, I cherish them, I value them. My, like beyond my own safety, I care for the safety of the children. This was not always the first place I would have run. Like that night, like I looked, I was in one room, Andrew's in the other room, and we're like, wow, we're good parents. You know, we didn't talk about it, it just happened that way. Well, you fast forward a few years before that day, there was another tornado siren, or a fire alarm one night. A fire alarm went off. It ended up being the batteries were bad, so it just went off. You never had that fire alarm thing goes off? Scary. You had things loud. And on this day, when I was probably 24 years old, the fire alarm goes off in my house. I'm out of my bed. I'm down the stairs. Listen, I didn't shake my wife. Are you, babe, wake up. We got to get out. I'm, listen, there's no kids yet. Well, actually, I had an adopted child at the time. I had a, I had a foster kid in my home. I didn't go to the foster kids' room. On this day, when that fire alarm went off, I ran to my study. Because in that study, this is, it sounds so stupid to say out loud. I had purchased my very first brand new Apple computer, and I loved it. <laughs> Listen, loved it. If you came to my house, I would take you to my house and show you this awesome thing I bought. I would show you what it could do. It was my pride, my joy. It was, before I had babies, it was my baby. And when that fire alarm went off, I, I ran not to my wife, not to my foster kid. I ran to my study because I had to save that 2004 iMac from any possible danger. I tell you that ridiculous story for this purpose. We are capable as people of worshiping a great many things. I didn't realize how much that silly object had become the center of my thinking and the center of my heart. In Daniel 3, we are going to talk about what we worship, what we love. Listen, weird things can park in that parking space. Weird stuff can park in there. So we begin in Daniel 3, verse 1, it says this, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits, its width it was 6 cubits. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Okay, 
we are not in Israel. We're, we're, we're going back in time. The nation of Israel has been destroyed. The Jews have been exiled to Babylon. Daniel and his three friends are essentially servants in the palace under King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar has just built a massive idol, a massive statue in this big plain field in the plains of Dura. It's 60 cubits, which in ours, that bad boy's 90 feet tall. That's big! In Flint, we have like four buildings that tall? Like nine stories is big! And you build that in the ancient world before skyscrapers, that thing can be seen everywhere. He builds this 90-foot statue, and he plates it with pure gold. So in the sun, that bad boy shines. And you're like, why is this guy building this image in the middle of nowhere? He's spending, he's spending money from his empire. He's got his chief architects out there. Why does he build this? Well, the language of the text gives us a clue. It says many times, the image of gold, the image of gold, bow down to the image. That language should remind us of Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar had a nightmare, a dream of a great image. Same exact word. This image was really big and beautiful, and the head was made out of gold. And in the dream, Nebuchadnezzar says, in the dream, I looked upon that, that big image, and I looked at that image with awe. I was the greatness of that image, it took my breath away. I couldn't help but be in awe of its grandeur and greatness. So what Nebuchadnezzar does is in the waking world, he builds the thing he dreamed about. The thing that made him awed, he builds it for the whole world to be awed by. And here's where we'll start with a very simple truth. Everybody worships something. So we start. Everybody worships something. The king who's great and mighty, this king who in, his, in the Babylonian world, he's a little god. That king was awed by that statue. That king also had gods he worshipped. Even great King Nebuchadnezzar knew he, though great as he was, there were things in the world greater than him, and he would give them worship. There's a movie coming out in December. I can't wait to watch it. It's Napoleon. Now, I've always, I'm a big fan of crazed, maniacal leaders. I always have been. Alexander, Napoleon, J.D. Rockefeller, give me a monster of a leader, and I like them. I, I just like watching the, the destructive arc of their life. Now, Napoleon was a, if you, ever, if you don't know his story, he declared himself the Holy Roman Emperor. And he's from France, which doesn't make a lot of sense. But Napoleon worships something. If you know him, he meets a woman. And as great as he is, his whole life, she will be the muse, always behind everything he's doing. Even great people like Napoleon 
worship something. Everybody worships something. Every single person you meet, we, it's, like, it's like built into our DNA. We want to give praise to things. We want to celebrate things. We want to speak well of things. It's inside every one of us. Listen, to make it as simple as possible, if we will find something to give praise and worship to. Maybe it's our local sports team. Yesterday, U of M played MSU. And U of M fans that I know today are, are smiling real big, aren't they? Because they had a good day. MSU fans, not so much. But you go to a, a, a sports game, you go to, listen, we were talking about some of the guys. If the Lions win a single playoff game, who needs a Super Bowl? Who needs it? Don't need it. If we, win a, if we win a single playoff game, Detroit will go crazy. Because our team that we have faithfully loved for all these years and truly learned divine patience with, this team, <laughs> when they win, we will feel like, well, if they won, that means I won. And we will celebrate. We talk well of them. We like worshiping things. Listen, go to the big house and listen to the Go Blue song. Hail to the, hail to the victors. You hear the crowd, and that, that's a song of worship. Listen, to be, I mean, it's silly, but it's not silly. Listen to young people talk about going to a Taylor Swift concert. I'm not dogging Swifties. My daughter is one of them. <laughs> um... She actually, she got some good songs. Anyway, you go to, you interview people that go to a Taylor Swift concert, okay? Listen how they describe the experience. They talk about how they cried the whole time. How they can be able to remember what happened because they were so overwhelmed with emotion from the time the concert started to the time the concert ended. That is a worshipful experience. That is a experience of adoration. I love this musician. I know, every, I know every word to every poem she ever wrote. And when I go there, I am with her in this. I give myself as she takes me on this ride. We are meant to worship. We will find something. If we don't have God, we will put something else there. We'll put a team. We'll put a musical artist. We'll put a cause. We'll put, we'll put something there. We, every one of us, desires to worship something, to sing about it, to praise it, to exalt it, to tell others about it. It's natural inside of us. Nebuchadnezzar feels the desire to worship. He builds this thing and says, worship that. Verse 2, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, sent word to assemble the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rules of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image of Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. So the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces were assembled to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. They were standing before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So everybody comes. This guy has a party to dedicate this idol he's built. The weird thing about this moment is this. The dream the king had 
where this giant image stood before the king, and the king was like he was amazed and inspired by the greatness of the statue. The weird thing is, that wasn't the point of the dream. We learned last week the dream the king had. There's this giant statue in this field, and it is mighty to behold. It represents the kingdoms of the earth. I mean, Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. And weirdly, weirdly, Nebuchadnezzar makes his statue all gold. Like, it's all me, baby. All Babylon, all me. We're awesome. In the dream, though, the point of the dream is not the statue, not the image. The point of the dream is there's a stone not made by human hands that comes out of the mountain. And that stone strikes the king of the earth. The statue falls down. Then that stone grows into a mountain and then fills the whole earth. That's the point of the dream. The point of the dream is the kingdom of God is greater than the kingdoms of the earth. Nebuchadnezzar misses the point, though. He, the stone isn't attractive. The stone isn't made of gold. The stone's just a, a gray rock. Nebuchadnezzar in his mind cannot get over the awesomeness of the image. He misses the point and worships the wrong thing. He doesn't worship the coming kingdom of God. He instead worships the empires built by his own hands. And here's a very, very simple truth to us. Worshiping the wrong thing is called idolatry. The first two commandments are against this very thing. Commandment number one, anyone know what it is? No other gods before me, straight up. He's like, I'm the one, we're together, no one else. Number two, no graven images. Don't make stuff and call it me and bow down to it. So no other gods and no physical representations called idols that you bow before. This breaks both those commandments. And here is the dangerous thing. Sometimes the gifts God gives displace him in our hearts. It's very easy to take to worship the gifts of the giver and not the giver of the gifts. It's very easy to fall in love with the gift he gave and to lose him in the process. The good things he gives can become for us central things. Now listen, it's not wrong to love stuff. It's okay to have hobbies. It's okay to love your families, your kids, your parents. It's okay to love your dogs and your cats, okay? It's okay to love stuff. What God says you cannot do, you cannot, you cannot allow anything that God has given us as a gift to become central in our heart. When we make something that's not God, when we allow it to become the central allegiance of our heart, then we've entered into idolatry. This happens. I have seen Christians put their families in that place. Maybe their wife or their husband. Maybe their kids. It's hard not to. A, a gift like family is a great gift from God. A great gift from God. Kids are a gift from the Lord. It 
it's very easy to take this gift God gave and to make that central. I care about this more. This is the thing I love and cherish, and I don't care what any other allegiance calls upon me. This is the thing I value the most. Maybe there was a song in the 90s that I used to like, a band in the 90s called The Counting Crows. They also had dreadlocks, my man. Uh, <laughs> um, he wrote a line in a song called Mr. Jones. He said, his goal, the, the band, their dream was to be famous. He wrote a line in a song called Mr. Jones. He said, and when everybody loves me, I'll be as happy as I can be. In his mind, if, if his band, his little tiny band, if they ever made it, that would be the thing that would bring true satisfaction, true joy, true hope into his life. That became for him the idol. We must be successful at all costs. And what's crazy is he re-recorded that song after he got fa famous, and he said it didn't work. He got the fame, and he felt lonelier than he did before. When you worship the wrong thing, that's called idolatry. The scary thing is, for every one of us, our hearts are idol-making factories. As we live through life, things accidentally become central that shouldn't be central. I know a bunch of pastors, and they make their churches central and not God, and there is a difference. There is a difference. It's a subtle difference, but man can wreck someone's life. There are also bad things that can be, that can be the center. If you've, ever hear, if you've ever battled with addiction, you know that when addiction becomes central, we will burn down every loyalty, every relationship to chase that high. We will. I work with, I work, I work with addicts a lot here at Flint City. We, we, we battle with it. We, we love a lot of addicts here at Flint City Church. We do, straight up. I pastor some addicts whom I love in the Lord. They love me back. But when they're in the throes of their addiction, they will lie to my face. Addicts are the greatest liars in the world, in case you don't know this. I, I am one. We are the greatest liars. You could, we will lie to our own mamas. We will swear on the graves of our grandfathers, lying through our teeth. But for an addict... The center has become the feeling of that high, and nothing else matters. If worshiping the wrong thing is called idolatry, the king missed the point. He had this vision, and he focused on the wrong part of the vision. Not the kingdom of God, but he focused on this great, awesome statue instead. And for us, as followers of Jesus Christ, we must be careful about the wrong thing as the center of our hearts. It has to be Jesus. It has to be Jesus. It can't be our favorite aspect of Jesus. It must actually be him. Our current church in America is very splintered. And there are a lot of idols walking around. People are claiming to be allegiant to, and it's not Jesus. Idol Worshiping the wrong thing is called idolatry. Nebuchadnezzar focused on the wrong thing. 
we must be very careful not to put the wrong thing as, as the center of our heart. Now, how do you know what's center? How do you know what you worship? There are tests. Where does my money go? What do I think about the most? Where does my time go? I could ask friends. I could ask real good friends or, or a parent or a spouse, what do you think the center of my life is? And be, be scared of that answer they're going to give you. When my daughter was real young, one of my idols for a few years was... Um, what would you call it? Reliving my childhood. That's nostalgia, they call it sometimes. I wanted to go back, and all the things I missed as a kid and experience again as a grown man. And so one of the ways I did this was through the buying of comic books. I was driving on the road one day, I saw a comic book store, and I'm like, I used to read those when I was a kid. So I pulled in, started reading comics again, and it was, they're really fun. Story and art mixed together to tell us, you know, um, so I've been reading comics, but what happened is this hobby began growing. Uh, every issue in the, back in the day was $3 an issue. At first I'd read like three issues a week, which is like nine bucks. You're not terrible. But then four issues and then five issues. Before I know it, I'm like at 10 issues every single Wednesday. That's like 30, 30 to $50 every week. It was getting out of hand. It was becoming a, real, it was becoming a, a budget item on our budget is what it was doing. Well, on Wednesdays, I, that was for me, new comic book day, and I would come home from work, sit down with my new comics, I would sit and read for like an hour and a half, and that was my happy place. One day, I'm sitting down on the floor, I'm reading my comics, and my daughter, who just learned to walk, she's kind of coming over to me because she wants to be with her father. And I'm in the comic reading zone, so I'm not paying attention to her. She's like trying to grab my arm, I'm like, Lena, I'm reading the comics, can't you see what I'm doing? And at one point, she's coming over to me, and her, her, her walking was still real, uh, a stutter step. It wasn't strong yet. She stepped on a comic book, and the, the, the cover slid. So she fell. It scared her. She fell, she fell on the carpet, but she still fell down, started crying because she was scared. Maybe she got hurt. She falls. The crying starts. When she fell, i never forget this. I did not reach for her in that crying moment. I reached for my comic because I'm like, how bad did she bend my cover? So my wife runs in, my daughter's crying. I'm looking at a Wolverine comic like, oh, how bad is the cover? And that's when I realized what has happened to my heart. How did this thing become big, this big in my life, where it's my first thing I go to, not the safety of my own child, but to a piece of paper possibly folded in half. That's a silly story. But we all do things like this. Maybe it's our car, our job, our relationship. Worshiping the wrong thing is called idolatry. We have to constantly ask the question, where is my allegiance and where is my heart? The story ends like this, or this portion of the story. 
So the herald calls out. Everyone comes to this big plain. Everyone's there, and the herald yells out, Oh, peoples, nations, men of every tongue, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. Listen. Daniel is in Babylon. The Jewish kids are all in Babylon, and there is now a cultural expectation to worship this golden image. Let me tell you something that's true when you're four and true when you're 40. Pressure to worship is a powerful thing. Peer pressure when it, at 40, it's still powerful. When you're a kid, you want to wear cool shoes. You want to wear the right, you know, what, what brand name is cool. I had a buddy of mine, he wanted, he wanted to be so cool in high school. He wanted to wear Jordans because they've been cool that long. <laughs> Listen, um, that, they were cool when I was in high school. They're sticking cool now. So he tells his mom, Mom, I know I don't have a lot of money, but I need some Jordans so I can be cool in middle school. So she's like, I'm gonna my mom. He's like, she's like, I'm gonna get you some shoes. So he's all bragging, like, guys, this weekend my mom bought me new shoes. On Monday, I'm gonna be stinking styling. So on Monday comes, y'all go to school, and he busts out his gym bag and busts out his shoe, and his mama had bought him some Air Jordash. That poor kid, we dogged the crap out of that guy. I mean, she tried. She tried. Probably a lot cheaper. Air Jordan versus Air Jordan. Anyways, so that as a kid, you want to fit in. So we want to do what's cool. Listen, that's still true when we're older. We still want to fit in with the culture we are a part of. For, for these Jewish young boys, the king has said, you must worship this thing. So there's pressure from on high. There's also pressure from next door. Because every single, anybody who's anybody is there in this plane. And they're all bowing to the statue. There is peer pressure. What do you do when everyone around you is nodding their head and saying, this we believe? What if you don't believe the thing? Do you go along with the crowd? Do you have the crowd dictate how you're going to act? The tough, tough thing. There's a book called Tortured for Christ. And Tortured for Christ in the Eastern Bloc, when, when the Communist Bloc, when that becomes a real thing, the Iron Curtain falls. Russia, USSR, brought the church under its control. And the church was forced to sign a doctrinal statement saying that they believed Stalin to be the vicar of Christ. The Pope, if you will. And during the big meeting of all the Orthodox priests, everyone is standing up and saying these great sermons like we, we love our thinking chancellor, we love Stalin. And this one pastor's there and his wife is like, what's that? she tells her husband, you gotta stand up and stand, you gotta stand up and say this is wrong. And he says to her, if I stand up, you will be a widow. And she says to him, it's better than having a coward for a husband. <laughs> what a woman. Uh, I, read my, I was telling my wife, don't you, don't you guilt me like that, baby. I got enough on my plate. I don't need you calling me a coward. Uh, but no, in that moment, in that moment, can you imagine how hard it would be to set up and say, 
I'm not going with you guys on this. I'm not with you. He is not Christ. This is a bad guy. That would be a hard stand to take. And listen, we all think we would stand so strong. It's hard to stand against your neighbors. Real hard. There's a book on our, in our awesome ghetto Flipsy library on, the, on our little shelf over here. The book is called Let Justice Roll Down. In this book, it's about Mississippi in like the 40s. Racism having a stranglehold on the churches of the day. And a local pastor in Mississippi realizes our, we, are, we, are being, we are being racist to our black brothers. And this small local pastor decides to put... He doesn't, it's not even the center of the sermons. It's once in a while, he'll, he'll say things like, we shouldn't be mean to our black brothers and sisters. Woo! Little tiny things. And his church will have none of it. Because the culture of the day was segregation. Separate but equal, right? It wasn't equal, but they said it was. And his church ran him and his wife out. He became unemployable, and that pastor ended up taking his own life. He was so ostracized because he stood for the truth. We all want to say, if, if the whole world stood for insanity, I would stand for the truth. Standing alone is stinking hard, dude. When everyone next to you is doing one thing, it is hard to not bow the knee to that cultural God before you. The king says bow down. Your neighbors next to you, they're all bowing down. It's tough to not go with the crowd. As a follower of Christ, though, sometimes we can't just blindly give our assent and go with everybody. Christ is our King, our Teacher, and our Lord. And sometimes going with Him means we're alone. One of my brothers once said to me, it was, he meant, it was a compliment, but it still felt very kind of lonely that he said it. There was a thing in my family that happened once, and there was, a, there was a sinful situation that happened, and I refused to go along with this moment. And it caused a big family civil war. And my brother told the family, I think Nesta might be right. And they went, they crushed him for it. And he goes, man, Nesta, standing with you is a lonely place to stand. And I was like, don't leave me. <laughs> um, but sometimes, standing, it's tough to stand there. It's tough to stand in that place. There are things, not only does the king stand against, not only is the pressure for our neighbors, listen, there's also the pressure of pain. He says, verse 6, but whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. If you don't bow down, we're going to kill you. We're going to kill you. In America, not going to kill you. I'm not going to kill in America, but you could get canceled. Right? I was on a podcast this last week with a friend of mine from Fenton, a local pastor. And we were asked to talk about the nation of Israel and what happened out there. Now, in America, every single thing that happens 
become so quickly polarized. And we're so quickly either with me or against me. There's no room for conversation. There's no room for thinking. I'm this pastor and I are on this podcast. And we say, all we say in the podcast is this. What we say in our podcast, we say first, we say what Hamas did was evil and wrong. Because Hamas walked into Israel and killed over a thousand innocents. How, there's, there's not enough strong words to describe the evil they did upon the Israeli people. Evil, bad, wrong. But in our conversation, we prayed. This, this is early on. We prayed. We said our prayer was that Israel's response would be measured because we know that violence begets more violence. And that simple desire for peace, that prayer for a measured response, it's unreal the hits we've taken over the last week and a half. Called anti-Semite. How can you... Def and we said, we said in our talk, we said, Hamas is evil, but there are Palestinians in the middle of this great war that will suffer badly. How can you feel bad for Palestinians? Because they're made in the image of God. And anyone who dies, we mourn the loss of life. We pray for Israel, and we pray for people who live in the Gaza Strip. We pray for both. Saying that out loud right now is a target on your stinking face. Sometimes not being completely loyal to one side will get you punched in the face by both sides. Listen. It's not fun to be written about. It's not fun to be called bad names, to be misrepresented. But at the same time, we can't just blindly bow the knee when the crowds scream out their crazy stuff because the crowds are nuts half the time. I heard a Christian pastor say, a Christian pastor wrote on social media, a guy I follow and respect, after Hamas did what they, no, they, they did evil, but they, this Christian pastor wrote, Israel should push these monsters into the sea. And I'm like, as Christian pastors, we don't cheer for death. Never, ever, ever. Pulling it back. Peer pressure is a tough thing. There will be times in our church, in, in, in our culture, there will be times we don't go where our culture goes, and you may pay the price for not believing what our culture believes. Stand with Jesus. When the culture, or even maybe Christian culture, says, bow with me or pay, you pray, you seek the Lord, and worship him only. And you bow only at the Lord's feet. 
Idolatry is worshiping the wrong thing. Let's worship the right thing. Let's worship the Lord God of heaven and earth. Let's worship Jesus Christ. Let's be grateful for the mission he's given. Let's take the gifts he gives and be grateful to the giver of gifts, but not worship those gifts of the giver. Because the gifts go away, in case you don't know. The gifts go away. Our health goes away. Our beauty goes away. I used to have my daughter pluck out my gray hairs out of my beard. And she goes, it's over, Dad. No more. There's too many to pull. And I'm like, oh, well, I guess we lose these fights. Every one of us does. <laughs> our beauty, our health. Our spouses can get sick and go to heaven before us. Our kids our parents. And we can't get mad at God because the gifts go away. We must be grateful we had the gifts at all to begin with. Worship the one true God. And if you worship the one true God, that being centered on the, on, on the Lord will help protect you, help vaccinate you from the false gods trying to get your attention all around you. Let's go ahead and pray together. Father, having so much for your word that is true. A statue built on the plains of Dura. A mad king who calls all people to bow before it at the threat of death. As we read this story and think about our lives, our hearts, our love, our passion, who do we love? What do we love? What do we worship? What do we care about? If any one of us here has put the wrong thing in that place of our heart, help us repent and bring that thing down and come back to you, O Lord, who's the only one worthy of our worship and praise. Help us see who we truly are and help us come back to the center. In Christ's name we ask all these things. Amen.